We're picking up where we left off in our journey through the book of Acts. Uh, We paused uh, really for the whole month of July in terms of the flow that we were walking through in the book of Acts. And we're picking it back up today. So far in Acts, we've seen how Jesus' disciples, his witnesses, have been doing what he told them to do. They have been bearing witness, sharing the gospel, first in Jerusalem, then Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. So we've seen how the gospel has spread beyond just Jews and even to Gentiles as well. Uh, We saw how the church in Antioch sent Paul and Barnabas on an intentional mission for the purpose of getting the gospel to the nations. We call that the first missionary journey of Paul. And last time uh, we were in Acts, we were in Acts chapter 15, and we saw the Jerusalem Council. The leaders of the global church gathered together to figure out how to advise these Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians to live together in unity in the gospel. Ultimately, this resulted in them writing a letter to be delivered to these various churches. And the letter instructed the Jewish believers not to burden their Gentile brothers with any unnecessary requirements, but it also gave guidance to Gentile believers about how not to put stumbling blocks in the way of their Jewish background brothers. So the letter was delivered to Antioch by Paul and Barnabas, along with Judas and Silas from Jerusalem. Judas and Silas eventually went back to Jerusalem, but Paul and Barnabas remained with their sending church there in Antioch, and that's where we pick up the story today. So if you're able, please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word from Acts chapter 15. We're going to start in verse 36, and we're going to continue on into chapter 16, all the way to verse 10. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement, so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not, did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. 
a man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that you would bless not only the reading of your word, but the preaching of your word. Lord, give us eyes to see wonderful things in your word this morning, that we might live according to them. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. When it comes to applying the Bible to real-life situations, it's easier to see how the Bible applies to some scenarios more than others. So, for example, imagine a couple comes to me with a disagreement. It's the end of the month, and they've run out of money, and they're trying to figure out how they're going to afford groceries to feed their kids. The wife says that they should ask someone for help. The husband says they should rob a convenience store. Well, my years of Bible college and seminary have been preparing me for just such this ethical dilemma. So I open up my Bible and I say to them, the Bible says you shall not steal. Problem solved. Or imagine there's uh, a, a young married woman who comes to me. She's been reading her Bible and she says, hey, I read in 1 Timothy 2.15 where it says she will be saved through childbearing. Do I have to get pregnant to be saved? So I pull out my Greek New Testament and look through it. and Oh, nope. The Bible says by grace we are saved through faith and this is not a result of works. Problem solved. Or imagine a guy comes up to me and he says, hey, my coworker doesn't know Jesus. Should I share the gospel with him? So I fast and pray for 40 days. And I come back and I say, well, you know what? The Bible says we're supposed to proclaim repentance for the forgiveness of sins to all nations. So problem solved. In each of those cases, the issue is settled by a specific biblical instruction. But what do you say when the scenario isn't so cut and dry? We love those situations. Just throw a verse on it and it's solved. But what happens when it's not so cut and dry? What happens when that couple isn't trying to decide between asking for help and stealing? They're trying to decide between asking for help and taking on an additional job. Well, neither choice is a sin. Which one do you choose? What happens when the question isn't about whether a woman has to have kids to be saved, uh, but whether it's a good idea for a married couple to use birth control? Is, Is there a Bible verse for that? What happens when the question isn't about whether you should share the gospel with your coworker or not? The issue is whether you should do it on Wednesday or Thursday. I mean, did Jesus talk about that? In each of those cases, there's not a specific biblical instruction. These are wisdom issues. And what is needed is biblical discernment. 
at the beginning of these, this uh, second missionary journey in Acts, Paul encounters three situations in which discernment was needed. So first, we see a disagreement between Paul and Barnabas in which neither of them has a sinful opinion, yet their opinions are incompatible with each other. Second, we see a situation in which Paul has to decide whether or not to circumcise Timothy, not as a question of salvation, but as a question of wisdom. Third, we see missionaries trying to figure out not whether they should go share the gospel, but where they should go share the gospel. Well, none of these scenarios are easy or cut and dry. They weren't easy for Paul to walk through. And frankly, they're not easy for us as Bible readers to interpret necessarily. But we'll see in our text, not only the difficulty of these scenarios, but also how a focus on the mission to spread the gospel helps to clear the fog and give guidance even when discernment is difficult. So again, our text is made up of three sections, and I'm going to label them this way. Uh, Number one, agreeing to disagree. So that's chapter 15, verses 36 to 41. Second, addressing a distraction. Chapter 16, verses 1 through 5. And then third, arriving at a destination. Chapter 16, verses 6 through 10. So we'll look at each section one at a time. And first of all, we're going to see agreeing to disagree there at the end of chapter 15. So in verse 36, we see that Paul suggested to Barnabas that they go back to some of the places that they had been on their first missionary journey. They had traveled to many places. They shared the gospel and people became followers of Jesus. And in each place, Paul and Barnabas assembled those believers into local churches. So Paul was suggesting they go back to those churches and encourage them. Barnabas was totally on board with this mission by all accounts. After all, he was the son of encouragement. He would have been the first in line to go encourage believers. But Barnabas wanted John Mark to go with them. Well, we've seen John Mark pop up several times in Acts. John Mark went with Paul and Barnabas as they began their first missionary journey on the island of Cyprus. But when they got to the next stop of their journey in a place called Pamphylia, John Mark left them and he went back to his home in Jerusalem. Well, this history with John Mark created a problem when Barnabas suggested that he come on the second journey. Barnabas apparently wanted to give John Mark a second chance and bring him along on this second journey. But Paul had a different opinion. Paul thought it would be unwise to bring John Mark along. John Mark had abandoned them on their first journey. He hadn't followed through with them to complete the work that they had been called to And so look at verse 39. There arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Paul and Barnabas had two different opinions 
that were not compatible with one another. Barnabas uh, would not go without John Mark. Paul would not go with John Mark. So Paul and Barnabas could not go together. They had to separate. So Paul and Barnabas went on separate journeys to strengthen the churches. And they each took a new companion with them. Uh, Barnabas took Mark and he went to Cyprus. And uh, you know what? I've got a map. Let's go ahead and throw that up just so you can get a little bit of a visual of what we're talking about. So uh, they're starting in Antioch there on the, the far right side of the map. They're starting in Antioch. Barnabas and Mark go across the Mediterranean to that island of Cyprus. That was where Paul and Barnabas had begun their first missionary journey. But Paul took Silas and went through Syria and Cilicia there around the northeast corner of the Mediterranean Sea. That was toward where Paul and Barnabas had ended the first journey. So Barnabas and Mark are kind of taking the front end of the follow-up journey, and then Paul and Silas are taking the end of that. So look at verse 40. It tells us that Paul and Silas went on their journey after they had been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And this echoes what we saw at the beginning of Acts chapter 13 when the church in Antioch sent Paul and Barnabas off on their first missionary journey. Once the brothers and sisters there had entrusted Paul and Silas to the grace of Jesus, then Paul and Silas went on their way, strengthening the churches. So what do we make of this conflict between Paul and Barnabas? Well, first, we have to say, disagreement is not good. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit do not disagree with one another. Sharp disagreement is not what Jesus wants for his disciples. We will not have sharp disagreements in the new heaven and new earth. Disagreement is not good. But we also have to admit that it's not clear that one of these men was right and the other one was wrong. Now, different people have different opinions on that. But Luke doesn't really give an indication of who's right and who's wrong. And we also need to see that Paul and Barnabas were not disagreeing about a major doctrinal issue. They weren't disagreeing about some doctrine that was like central to the truth of the gospel. It wasn't as though one was for what was biblical and one was against what was biblical. No, they were disagreeing about how to practically apply biblical principles that they both agreed on. And, you know, a biblical case can be made for both of Paul and Barnabas' opinions. On the one hand, Paul was right to recognize that there's a biblical principle that if a person has a track record of unfaithfulness, that can be disqualifying for ministry. On the other hand, Barnabas was right to recognize the biblical principle that God changes people. And he can even take people who have made mistakes in their past and use them in the present. We'd really like for Luke to just tell us this one was right, this one was wrong. But he doesn't do that. Well, the fact of the matter is, what this passage highlights for us, disagreements happens. It's not good. 
but it's a reality. Even among those who are submitted to the same Bible. Uh, You know, the Bible, praise God, is clear on all of the major doctrines that we need to understand for life and godliness. If we submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit and to a proper reading of the Word of God, we can achieve certainty about a great number of truths. But we're still limited. We'll never know everything. We'll never know the answer for every single situation we will ever encounter. And there will be times when we are unable to discern what exactly is the best course of action to take in a given situation. And so that means when you have two people who are both struggling to do that, it is not only possible, it's inevitable that disagreements like Paul and Barnabas had will happen. And it's inevitable that separation like Paul and Barnabas experienced will happen. Both men were submitted to the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. They both agreed on the key doctrines of Scripture, but they still disagreed to the point that they could not minister together anymore. But we also need to recognize that separation is not always disunity. Separation is not always disunity. And here's, what I, here's, here's why I say that. There's biblical evidence to suggest that while Paul separated from Barnabas and John Mark, that this was not a total falling out. Paul continued to love them, respect them, and be united with them in the gospel and for gospel ministry. The, the first piece of evidence is that of the, is right there in our text that Paul continues on the gospel mission and Barnabas continues on the gospel mission. They're still united in the mission that they set out on. Paul later writes this to Timothy, who we're going to meet in a moment. In 2 Timothy 4.11, he's writing and he says, Luke alone is with me. Luke, the author of Acts. And he says to Timothy, get Mark. And bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. What that can show us is Paul, was, Paul did not give up on Mark. He would later write wanting Mark to come with him because he found him useful for ministry. Paul also later writes about Barnabas. You can see it in 1 Corinthians 9. In that chapter, Paul is defending his apostleship, his rights as an apostle. And he mentions Barnabas as someone he sees as a peer. Uh, He mentions him in 1 Corinthians 9, 6. So separation is not always disunity. Uh, And just to go a little further, consider some examples that are relevant to our context. You know, we can be a distinct, separate local church and still be united in the gospel with the church down the street. We may have different philosophies of ministry so different that we can't really serve together as one single local church, but we can still experience unity in the gospel even as separate churches. Uh, Even Christians in separate denominations 
can experience unity in the gospel. Uh, For example, at times, our elders have met with um, someone who was uh, a prospective member, asking about membership, interested, and they disagreed with our church on some secondary doctrinal issues. So there was one family, and we agreed on all of the major doctrinal issues in Scripture. We believed the same gospel, but we disagreed in this particular case about whether baptism was for believers only or for believers and their children. Now, we loved one another. As, to, to, my, as, to my recollection, there was no sin involved in any of this. We were united in the gospel. But practically speaking, we could not be a part of the same local church together. So we chose to lovingly separate. We encouraged this family to go join a church that shared their belief about baptism. Separation, but not disunity. Unity in the gospel, unity in the major doctrines of scripture. And there's one last thing that Luke's account here shows us. It's that even separation can be used by God. What was the result of Paul and Barnabas separating? Now, there wouldn't just be one follow-up trip. There were two. The missions force doubled. What would have been one trip with Paul and Barnabas now turned into two trips. One with Paul and Silas and another with Barnabas and John Mark. Both trips went and accomplished their purpose of strengthening the disciples And all these men continue to be used of God in ministry and to love one another. And so, again, to be clear, disagreement is not good. And separation is discouraging at times. But remember that the sovereign God is able to redeem even our separation and our disagreements to advance his mission for his glory. The next section in our text, chapter 16, verses 1 through 5, addressing a distraction. Addressing a distraction. So Paul and Silas left Antioch. Let's pull that map back up here. Paul and Silas left Antioch, and they started to head west. We're told in the text that they came to Derby and Lystra. Those were a couple of the places that they had visited on their first journey. And one of the disciples in Lystra was a young man named Timothy. In his letters to Timothy, Paul calls Timothy his child in the faith. And so apparently Paul had led Timothy to the Lord himself on his first missionary journey. Timothy's mother was Jewish, but had also become a Christian like Timothy, and Timothy's father was a Greek, so a Gentile. Timothy had a good reputation among the believers, not only in Lystra, but also in Iconium, which was another place that Paul had visited on the first missionary journey. And Paul wanted to take Timothy with him on this second journey. But there was a problem. Timothy wasn't circumcised. Because Timothy's mother was Jewish, Timothy was supposed to be raised as a Jew, which would have included the the sign of the covenant, circumcision. And because he was uncircumcised, he would have been regarded as an illegitimate Jew. 
Wait a sec. Didn't Luke just spend almost all of chapter 15 convincing us that it was God's will that believers don't have to be circumcised? He did. So why in the world is it a problem that Timothy is not circumcised? I mean, the whole discussion in Acts 15 began because some people claimed circumcision was necessary for salvation, and Paul strongly disagreed with them. And that led him to go to Jerusalem where he and Barnabas and Peter and James made a clear case that God does not require believers to be circumcised. So why does Paul now think that Timothy needs to be circumcised? Well, one important thing to notice is that Paul's concern is not Timothy's salvation. Timothy was already saved. Paul circumcised Timothy because of the Jews. The text tells us that in verse 3. He circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. Um, But that still doesn't fully resolve the issue. Uh, If all we had in the Bible was Acts, maybe that would resolve the issue. Um, And I, I wish that was it. But there's these pesky little other books of the Bible and in one of them, 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul teaches that when a person becomes a Christian, they should remain in the condition in which they were called. Specifically, in 1 Corinthians seven eighteen, Paul says, Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Like Timothy let him not seek circumcision. And furthermore, it just gets trickier. Galatians 2, Paul tells us how he refused to circumcise Titus, who was a Greek, in order to preserve the truth of the gospel. So how do we put all that together? Well, it helps if we take a closer look at what Paul says in Galatians 2 that I just referred to, and if we compare that to Acts chapter 16. So turn with me to Galatians chapter 2. What we're going to see is that this is a wisdom issue, a wisdom issue, a time when discernment is needed. Acts 16 and Galatians 2 describe two different scenarios. And these two scenarios require two different responses. In Galatians 2, Paul is writing about a time that he and Barnabas went to Jerusalem. Look at verses 3 through 5. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised though he was a Greek. Yet, because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. So in Galatians 2, Paul is writing about a, uh, about a time 
where he was dealing with people who tried to corrupt the gospel. Galatians 2, Paul's dealing with people who were trying to corrupt the gospel. These were false brothers, he says, trying to bring burdens on Christians. They were trying to add unbiblical requirements to the gospel, like saying that you could not be saved unless you were circumcised. If Paul had allowed Titus to be circumcised, he was caving to these false teachers. And other Gentiles, like these Galatians, who heard about that, would have thought, well, we must have to be circumcised too if we're going to be saved. So in that scenario, Paul was right to refuse to let Timothy be circumcised for the sake of the gospel, to be clear about what the gospel really says. In Acts 16, on the other hand, Paul is not dealing with people trying to corrupt the gospel. In Acts 16, he is concerned about people who need to hear the gospel. Do you remember what Paul's strategy was whenever he would go into a new town? Where did he go first? The, right, the Jewish synagogue. In the places where Paul was going to go with Timothy, we're told in the text that the Jews would have known that Timothy's father was a Greek. So they would have doubted that he was a legitimate Jew. If they found out Timothy wasn't circumcised, he would have lost all credibility in their eyes. And even though it wasn't necessary according to the gospel, for him to be circumcised, it would have created a distraction from the main conversation they were trying to have about the gospel that these Jews would have needed to hear. If Timothy wasn't circumcised, the conversation would have been over before it began. So, to remove a barrier to preaching the gospel, Paul circumcised Timothy. It's like Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 9, 20. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. Though not being myself under the law. Okay, let's keep the purity of the gospel clear. Why? That I might win those under the law. So let's go back to Acts chapter 16. Paul's decision to circumcise Timothy for the sake of the Jews, to eliminate a distraction from the gospel, fits very well with what we see next in verse 4. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. Well, I mentioned already that the apostles and elders in Jerusalem decided to tell the churches, don't put unnecessary burdens on Gentiles for salvation, like circumcision. But they also instructed the Gentile believers to avoid certain practices so they would not put a stumbling block in the way of the Jews. Gospel people should be passionate about preserving gospel purity, but gospel people should also be joyful about living sacrificially. And in the case of the letter from the Jerusalem council and in the case of the decision 
to circumcise Timothy, Paul was making decisions that were for the sake of the gospel. They were asking people to make sacrifices for the sake of communicating the gospel. And what was the result of all of these decisions made for the sake of the gospel? The churches flourished. Look at verse 5. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Uh, the members of those churches were edified, and more unbelievers heard the gospel and were added to the churches. Well, what can we learn from the example of Paul and Timothy? We should use our freedom in Christ for the sake of the gospel, not for ourselves. What do I mean by freedom? Well, as Christians, there are certain things we are free to do or not to do. And to understand that, first we have to recognize there are certain things we are not free to do. And there are certain things we are not free not to do. The Bible identifies certain sins which are always wrong for us to do. The Bible also gives us clear commands, and it is a sin not to obey those commands. But then there are certain things that the Bible does not forbid or command. Circumcision is one of those things, under the new covenant anyway. Circumcision is not, in and of itself, right or wrong. And when it comes to those things that the Bible does not clearly forbid or command, we are free either to do them or not to do them. So how do we decide then when to do those things and when not to do them? Does freedom mean that we just get to decide and whatever we want to do or not do, that's just what we do? Well, no. In fact, doing what's right in our own eyes is the essence of sin. At least it's the, the heart attitude of sin. Okay, so then how do we decide when to do those things and when not to do them? Biblical wisdom. Wisdom. We take the biblical instructions, values, principles, and we consider how those clear instructions, clear values, clear principles apply in a particular situation. It may be that something that we are free in general to do is actually something we must do in one situation. But then in another situation, it's something we must not do based on biblical wisdom. That's what we see with Paul and the issue of circumcision. In one case, biblical wisdom said, I must not do this for the sake of the gospel. In another situation, biblical wisdom said, I must do this for the sake of the of the gospel. In the case of Titus, applying biblical wisdom meant that Paul could not let Titus be circumcised. Whereas with Timothy, applying biblical wisdom meant Paul must circumcise Timothy. We will deal with situations in life that are not cut and dry. Questions not of right and wrong, but questions of wise and unwise. We want to follow Christ. We want to choose what God would have us choose, but it's not clear how. And in those situations, we can find clarity and confidence by taking clear biblical principles and applying them to our unclear situation. 
the question we must always ask is not, well, what do I want to do? But what is best for the sake of the gospel? So when one option is clearly better for the sake of the gospel, even though we are technically free to do something else, we choose that option. Why? Because it's better for the sake of the gospel. And when neither option is better than the other, choose either one, but go forward for the sake of the gospel. Or our last section, I'm labeling arriving at a destination. Arriving at a destination. Chapter 16, verses 6 through 10. So now, Paul is accompanied not only by Silas, but also by Timothy. And they need to decide where they're going to go next. Uh, And so let's look at that map once again. They started in Antioch, and then they started to move west. Uh, They went through uh, Syria and Cilicia. They came to Derbe and Lystra and Iconium. And so they were going to start heading west. But at this point, their initial goal and purpose for the journey the goal of strengthening the churches that, they, that Paul and Barnabas had already visited, that goal had been accomplished, basically. They had gone to strengthen the churches. Paul and Barnab- or, excuse me, Barnabas and Mark had gone back to Cyprus. Paul and Silas had gone back to Derby and Lystra and Iconium. And so now, Paul and Silas and Timothy were going to move on to a new area for the purpose of evangelism. So they headed west. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. But that's not where they wanted to go. Look at verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So they wanted to go kind of south there into Asia, but the Holy Spirit wouldn't let them. Now, we don't know how the Holy Spirit stopped them, but he did. So, they continued west. They wanted to take a left turn. They didn't. They kept on going, kept on heading west. They came to the region of Mysia, and they wanted to go north. They wanted to take a right turn north into Bithynia, but the Holy Spirit wouldn't let them. Again, we don't know how the Holy Spirit stopped them, but he did not allow them to go into Bithynia. So, they just kept on heading west, and they came to this town of Troas. And while they were there, Paul received a vision. Now, this isn't the first time that God has used visions in Acts. Uh, In Acts 9, after Paul encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, God got Paul and Ananias together by using visions. In Acts 10, God got Cornelius and Peter together through visions. And the vision that Paul saw here in the night in Troas was a vision of a man from Macedonia. And so, sorry, one more time on the map. All the way, uh, yeah, up there in the the, uh, northwest corner there. Paul saw a man from the region of Macedonia. And at the end of verse 9, we see what the man said. Come over to Macedonia and help us. What kind of help did they need in Macedonia? Well, Paul and his companions knew exactly what kind of help they needed. Look at verse 10. And when Paul had seen the vision, 
immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. They knew that if God had given Paul a vision of a man asking for help, it could only mean one thing. God wanted them to go preach the gospel to Macedonia. This is where they would go on the next leg of their journey. And we'll be looking at that over the next couple of weeks. Uh, but before we, uh, before we move on, I need to just pause for an important side note. There's a really interesting small word in verse 10. Did you notice it? It's the word we. At some point, Luke himself, the author of Acts, actually is joining Paul and Silas and Timothy on their journey. Luke is also one of the travel companions on this missionary journey. And that may seem like a small detail, but this would have been really important to Theophilus. You may remember Theophilus is the one who Luke is writing to. He's the first recipient of the book of Acts. And Luke said at the beginning of uh, the gospel of Luke, which he also wrote to Theophilus, that everything he wrote was based on careful research and the testimony of eyewitnesses. And what we find out here, and and we'll see uh, later in Acts as well, is that Luke himself was an eyewitness to many of the events recorded in Acts. So this would have helped Luke accomplish his purpose for writing, which was that Theophilus would have certainty about that which he had been taught. Okay, side note, over. Let's consider how we can apply this last section to our lives. The main thing we need to take away from this story is that the Holy Spirit was the one who directed their journey. And I want to consider two specific applications of that principle from this section. First, remember that the Holy Spirit is sovereign over our going, so don't be discouraged when plans get blocked. Consider the ways Paul's plan had to change one more time. He wanted to go into Asia, couldn't go there for now. He wanted to go to Bithynia, couldn't go there. But were those failures? Absolutely not. Those changes of plan were the result of the direct activity of God, the Holy Spirit. And that same Holy Spirit is sovereign over our going too. So last year, we had two teams going internationally, planning on going internationally, one to Uganda, one to Bolivia. And because of COVID, we weren't able to send either team. Were those failures? Absolutely not. The Holy Spirit did not allow us to go. Why? We may never know, but we can trust him. He is the one who is sovereign over the mission to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. And he prevented us from going. Uh, Last month, we wanted to go to at least five neighborhoods with power-up clubs. And we were only able to go to three. Was that a failure? Absolutely not. We went to as many neighborhoods as the Holy Spirit allowed us to go to. And you know what? It appears that the Holy Spirit is going to allow us to go to one more neighborhood 
this week. We may not always get to go where we want to go, when we want to go, but we can always trust the Holy Spirit who is sovereign over our going and our not going. Second, remember that the Holy Spirit often, usually directs us when we are already moving, not when we're standing still. Remember that the Holy Spirit often, usually, directs us when we are already moving, not when we're standing still. Paul and his companions did not know where the Holy Spirit wanted them to go when they set off west from um, Iconium. So what do they do? They just went. They tried to take a left turn. Holy Spirit said no, so they kept on going straight. They tried to take a right turn. Holy Spirit said no, so they kept on going straight. They kept going until the Holy Spirit directed them where they needed to go. So, you know, we we see this story about this vision come to Macedonia and uh, it's an important story that God has given us, but he, is, he did not give us this story so that we would wait for a vision to get going. Don't wait for God to give you a vision to go for the sake of the gospel and getting the gospel to the nations. Jesus has already given us the command to go. He said in Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Until Jesus returns, this is a command his disciples are to obey. Uh, Let me remind you of something that Jacob Lee said from this pulpit two weeks ago. There are three billion, with a B, three billion people in the world who will not Hear the gospel if someone does not leave their own culture to go to them. There's many places in the world where we could say, well, there's already a church there. They can go and reach their unsaved neighbors. That's true for our culture by the grace of God. But there are cultures all around the world that don't have anyone who can share the gospel within their culture. They will not hear the gospel if someone does not leave their own culture to go to them. The need is great, and the command to go has already been given. Don't wait for a vision. Go. And let the Holy Spirit guide your going. If we had more time, and, and, and Lord willing, we can talk about this another time, we can talk about how to discern where the Holy Spirit wants to guide our going. But I think it's a good place to leave it today to just say, the command has been given. Go. We will face scenarios in our lives in which discernment is difficult whether that's discerning a right decision, discerning a right direction, discerning a right destination. But a focus on the gospel 
helps to clear the fog and give guidance. You disagree with a brother or sister. You wish you could agree, but you can't figure out the answer to your question. Ask, how can we move forward for the sake of the gospel, even if we can't figure out how to agree on this particular issue? You're dealing with a question of Christian freedom in which there is not a clear right or wrong solution. Ask, how can I use my freedom for the sake of the gospel? You're not exactly sure how or where God wants to use you to fulfill the Great Commission. Go for the sake of the gospel and let the Holy Spirit guide your going. May we all, like, I'll I'll say it again. May we all, like Paul, always say, I do it all for the sake of the gospel. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, thank you. Thank you for not painting a picture in the Bible that every situation just has a really clear answer. Lord, we know.